So in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, O God, Amen. We'll start today uh, with Psalm 1 from the book of Psalms. I'm sure everyone, if I ask it, anyone among us or anyone in the world, what you want to achieve in your life, I'm sure the answer will be to be happy. So anyone wants to be happy. But the question is, if everyone seeks happiness, then why cannot everyone find happiness in their life? Maybe because they are pursuing happiness in the wrong direction. They are pursuing happiness in the wrong direction. So in Psalm 1, God says that all the ways by which people pursue happiness boil down to two basic ways, good or evil. Some people pursue happiness through sexual immorality, uh, parties, drinking, dancing, drugs. That is the way in their mind to pursue happiness. Some people pursue happiness by walking in the fear of God and by living godly life. Psalm 1 is a psalm of instruction concerning good and evil. And sitting before us, life and death, blessing and curse, that we may take the right way which leads to true happiness and avoid the wrong way, which certainly end in our misery and ruin, even if it gives me some happiness temporarily. The author of this psalm is not known. Some commentators suggested that Solomon is the author of Psalm 1 and has written Psalm 1 as a suitable introduction to the whole book of Psalms. Other commentators and scholars say, no, it was David who wrote Psalm 1. Being at the beginning of Psalms seems to give clear guidance regarding the way in which we, the believers, should conduct our lives. And it's good that we start our day with Psalm 1 in the first hour of prayer to remind me every day the way of godliness and the way of wickedness. Also, this psalm is a presentation of how our Lord Jesus Christ lived his life in this world, contrasting his God-directed life with the life of the ungodly like the people who were around him, like the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel. If one to classify this psalm, it is classified as a wisdom psalm, psalm that teaches us wisdom. As we will see in this psalm, it contrasts two ways two fundamental options for human being. There is no third option. Either you walk in the way of righteousness or you walk in the way of wickedness. Also, it offers a main theological principle which is man's free will. You have free will to choose this way or that way, to walk in righteousness or to walk in wickedness. Man has a choice to embrace godly way or the ungodly. Whoever collected the Psalms of David, and it is believed to be Azra, with good reason he put the Psalm first as introduction to the book of Psalms, because it is absolutely necessary to the acceptance of our prayers that we be righteous before God. God does not accept the prayers of the wicked. Wicked means the non-repentant. All of us who are sinners, but 
that a person who is not repentant, God does not accept their prayers. So this psalm at the beginning of the book of Psalms, uh, it teaches us it's absolutely necessary to the acceptance of our prayers that will be righteous. Righteous means choosing what is right. Even if we fall out of weakness, we correct and we repent and go back to the right way. As the Bible says, God is delighted in the prayer of the upright. God is delighted in the prayer of the upright. That's why we need to be right in our thinking, to think about what's right, in order to be blessed in in our life. Uh, Those are not fit to put up good prayer who do not walk in good ways. So if I'm not walking in the righteous, in the right way, in the way of righteousness, in the way of godliness, then my prayers will not be accepted before God. Some commentators contemplated on the psalm saying, the first letter of the first word is, in Hebrew is Aleph, in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, the word the blessed Ashr, so it starts with the Alf. And the last word uh, is Tobet, and it starts with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Tau. That's why, so this psalm has start with the first letter of alphabet and ended with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the symbolism of this, Psalm 1 includes the meaning of the entire psalm, uh, Psalter, entire book of Psalms, as well as the whole Bible, because the whole Bible about our salvation and we will achieve our salvation by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord, Savior and King and walking in the right way and the godly way. The outline of this psalm, verse 1 and 2, contrast of two ways. Verse 3, way of godly. Verse 4 and 5, way of the wicked. Verse 6, the concluding judgment on the two ways. It's only six verses. So let's start with verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed. So this book of Psalm starts with benediction. The word blessed is benediction as the Sermon on the Mountain also starts with the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit with benediction. Uh, The Hebrew words are very specific. Blessed is the man means blessedness belongs to that man. Blessedness belongs to that man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessedness means happiness, happiness to this man. He will be happy. So the character of the truly happy man is described in this psalm, both negatively by abstaining from sin, that's verse 1, and positively by adhering to the word of God and obeying his commandment, that's verse 2. So in order to be happy, you need to do two things, abstain from sin and adhere to the word of God. Blessed 
the blessed man does not do certain things. If you want to be happy, don't do these things. There is a way he will not walk, and a path he will not stand in, and a seat he will not sit in. And I want you to notice the progression here. Progression of the ungodly person. Progression starts with walking, then standing, then sitting with the unrighteous. So you walk with them, then you stand with them, spending more time with them, then you sit with them. You will be one among them. Also, some people interpreted walks not in the counsel of the ungodly to mean thinking. He does not think evil. Standing means intending to enter or to work with them or to do it. So walking is thinking. Standing means doing it. Sitting in the seat of scornful means either teaching sinfulness to others or responding eagerly to the deceits and teaching of the wicked. So he is sitting, listening to the wicked and teaching. So, and that's the progression of sin. We think about it, we do it, then we want to learn more sinful things, like if a person accepts drugs, he think about it, then he will do it, then he will learn more uh, bad stuff from the ungodly. And here actually, the Bible teaches us about a very important characteristic of sin. Sin is progressive. It doesn't stop. That's why, for example, when we say to young youth, be pure in your relationship with the other gender. Why? Because it doesn't stop at holding hand. It will progress from holding hand to hugging to kissing to until uh, the person may fall in uh, the big sin of fornication. Sin is progressive. The progression to wickedness consists of three stages. Thinking, doing, then learning and teaching. Thinking, doing, then learning more and teaching others. Usually the the sinner wants others to follow him and to imitate him. Walking in the counsel of the ungodly means adoption of the principle of evildoers as a rule of life and letting oneself be guided by their advice. So if I surround myself with ungodly, these ungodly people will advise me and their advice will be the rule of my life. A godly person avoids completely the evil by rejecting companionship with the wicked so that he will not be led with them. As St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but company corrupts good morals. Those who keep the commandment of their God must say to the evildoers, depart from me, O evildoers. That is one of the songs that we prayed in, in the 12th hour, Psalm 190, no, in the midnight, Psalm 119, verse 115. Depart from me, depart from us, O evildoers. And when we choose to depart from evil, this is where the wisdom begins. When we choose to depart from evil, this is the beginning of wisdom. The righteous man and the ungodly man are different in how they think 
behave and belong. Thinking, if you are godly, you will think about what's right. <coughs> Behavior, you will do what's right. Belonging to God. But the ungodly is totally the opposite. How to stay away from the counsel of ungodly? All of us, we get advices from the scripture, from parents, from church, from godly friends, from abuna, from sermons. So with all these advices that come to us from so many different sources, the righteous man know how to stay away from the counsel of the ungodly. Also, the righteous man knows how to discern the counsel of the ungodly. Any counsel, any advice, he compare it against the teaching of the scripture, the teaching of early church fathers. The righteous man is also discerning enough, he is wise enough to know the counsel of the ungodly can come from his own self, from his own desires, from his own mind. Our own conscience, our own mind, our own heart can give us ungodly counsel. For example, you can be sitting by yourself, then an idea comes to your mind, watch this, and you know that is something ungodly. What are you going to watch? This site on the internet is ungodly. But this idea comes from your mind. If you walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, you will reject it. The righteous man knows where to find completely godly counsel in the word of God. As we read in Psalm 119, verse 24, your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. The word of God is my counsel. That's where I get godly counsel. The second point is stand in the path of the sinners. Sinners have a path where they stand. The righteous man knows he does not belong to that path. The word path means way, road, direction. The righteous man is not traveling in the same direction like the sinners. The righteous man knows which path to take. The Lord told us, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Our path should be the gate narrow and the way is difficult. That is the path of righteousness. But the wide gate and the broad way, that is the way that leads to destruction. The progression here after walking, standing, is sitting. And this is the worst sin, is to take a seat in the meeting of the scornful, to associate with them, to belong to them, to be one of them. Word scornful means those who reject, despise, scorn, or remedies, make fun of it. You tell them fast, you will make fun of fasting. Why we fast 55 days? So these are the scornful who make fun of all the remedies, who make a mock of sin and of God's warning and judgment against sinners. So I want you to notice the ungodly are those who are not guided by God. In this psalm, he used three words, ungodly, 
Sinners is scornful. And as I told you, sin is progression. So let's see the progression in these three words. Ungodly means he is not guided by God. This leads to what? To falling in sin. So he is adding to ungodliness sin. That's why he is a sinner. Then by continuing in sinful life, he will be scornful. One who does not believe in God or make a mock of every holy thing. He despises the word of God. He despises every holy thing. Ungodly man walks. Sinners stand scornful, sit down in the way of iniquity. So, see by what steps men arrive to the heights of wickedness. It starts by not guided by the word of God. That's the starting point. And then you will progress to the heights height of wickedness. They are ungodly first, casting off the fear of God and living in the neglect of their duty to God. But they don't rest there. The second step, when the service of religion are laid aside, he stops praying, reading the Bible, fasting, coming to the church, then they become to be sinners. They break out into open rebellion against God and engage in the service of sin and Satan. And after this third step, the heart becomes so hardened after living in sin for so long. They come to be scornful that they openly resist all that is secret. That is the progression toward sin. Some fathers like St. Augustine believe that the one blessed here, blessed is the man, is a prophecy about Jesus Christ, the second Adam, who carries the church as the whole body of the holy head. He is the head, and this man, the head is Christ, and we are his body. So, if he is blessed, happy is he, then he grant the body, the holy church, a blessed life. So, in summary, the psalmist here blesses those who oppose evil and resist it. So, blessedness is granted to those who resist sin. St. Augustine stresses that a youth, he differentiates St. Augustine between like a child who is pure because of his age, and a youth who is resisting sin and living purity. So he is saying, a youth who resists sin and evil thoughts, and does not do so out of child out of childishness. So he is not he is pure not because he is a child. He is pure because he resists sin. He said this person in fact attains a greater reward than a child who keeps purity to his age. Because for the child purity just comes natural, but for a youth who resists he will attain a greater reward than a child who is pure just because of his age. And as I told you, St. Augustine, this this is to be understood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, God who became man. Blessed is the man that has not gone away in the council of ungodly, as the man of earth did. So Jesus Christ did not walk in the council of ungodly like how people on earth walk in the council of ungodly. Uh, like Adam who consented to his wife deceived by the serpent. 
uh, and he, he transgressed the commandment of God. So the second Adam came to reverse what first Adam did. First Adam walked in the counsel of the ungodly. He listened to the serpent. Second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, did not walk in the counsel of ungodly. Nor stood in the way of sinners. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ came indeed. Uh, he, he was born among us, the sinners. And he carried our sin. But he did not stand there. Uh, he was not tempted by the enticement of the world. You know the temptation on the mountain, Satan tried to tempt him with love of money, love of pleasure, ego and pride, but he resisted the temptation. So the Lord Jesus Christ did not stand in the way of sinners. St. Augustine continues and says, and did not sit, uh, sit in the seat of scornful, he willed not an earthly kingdom. The Lord did not come for earthly kingdom with pride, which is well taken for the seat of pestilence, the seat of scornful. For that there is hardly anyone who is free from the love of rule and craves not human glory. He's saying all of us, we, we love authority, prestige, we love human glory. We, we want to be rulers in this world. But the Lord said, my kingdom is not of this world. So he did not sit in the seat of the scorn. That's how St. Augustine is saying this verse is applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you the man who is blessed abstain from evil, but he abide by the word of God. That's verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, the law of God, he meditates day and night. So the righteous man finds his delights in the law of, of the Lord. Happy when he reads the Bible. Happy when apply the Bible in his life. That is a positive side of a good man's character. The negative side, abstain from evil. The positive side, adhere to the word of God. And if a person delights in something, he will do it by himself. And for each one of us, we can measure our delight for the word of God by how much we hunger for it. Are you hungry for the word of God? I remember when I asked my father of confession in the monastery, how many chapters I read uh, from the scripture. He told me in Arabic, reads without feeling you are satisfied. So read, keep hungry to the word of God. Uh, since Jesus Christ, the Word of God incarnate, is the way, as he said, I am the way, truth, and life, then we have to be Bible-centered. Jesus is the Word. So we need to be the Word-centered, Scripture-centered, Bible-centered. God's law that leads man in the right way. That's the godly counsel. This is what keeps us out of the way of the ungodly, his testimony, his word, and secure and strengthen us against their temptation. So we, we need actually to be a student of the scripture and adhere to the word of God. David said, I had your word in my heart, lest I sin against you. The law of God may be here understood of the whole doctrine delivered by God to the church, consisting of doctrine, principle, promises, warning, holy tradition, not only just the Bible, but the holy tradition. 
usually the people, many people perceive law as a burden, as a restriction to their freedom. Don't do this, do that. But a godly man delights in the law. Though it is a law, a yoke, restriction, and an instruction, but it is the law of God. Why I delight in it? Because I know it's for my protection. If I follow, like if you follow the traffic uh, lights and rules, you will drive safely. So a wise person will be delighted in the law of traffic because this actually will protect his driving. He will arrive safely. In the same way, we know that the law of God is holy, just, good. That's why the righteous freely consented to and delights in the word of God. As we read in Romans chapter 7, verse 16 and 22, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Inward man, the spirit in me delights in the law of God. Not only the light, but in his law he meditates day and night. Meditates day and night. Meditates implies a deep, serious, affectionate thoughtfulness about the word of God. We must not only meditate on the word of God day and night, but the thought should be interwoven with whatever we do. So, whatever we do will be according to the word of God. St. Jerome said, Meditation on the law does not simply consist of reading, but of doing. Maybe you can read day and night, but it's not enough. You need to do, to be doers, not only hearers of the word. Just as the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Also, St. John Chrysostom says, Let us consider all things secondary to the hearing the word of God. Anything else you do should be secondary. Number one, your first priority is the word of God. Anything else is secondary. And to think no season unseasonable to the word of God. Let every season belong to it. Every season, don't say, I'm busy, I don't have time. Every season belongs to the Word of God. In the Eastern non-Christian meditation, like yoga, the purpose of meditation, the goal is to empty the mind. When you read their books, they tell you we need to empty the mind. But this is dangerous because an empty mind, empty mind, presents an open invitation to the deception of Satan. Satan will plant anything in your mind. But in Christian meditation, the goal is not to empty your mind, but to fill your mind with the Word of God. That is the goal of meditation in the Word of God. And this can be done by carefully thinking about each word and phrase. Apply it to yourself, praying about it to God. So when you read, read each word, reflect on it, apply it to yourself, pray to God about it. Verse 3. When you abstain from evil, and you adhere to the word of God, you will be blessed. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So the blessings here, number one, bring forth its fruit in its season. Number two, the leaf shall not wither. Number three, 
whatever he does shall prosper. A tree by river means has a continual source of water. There is no drought here. It will never wither away because it's always getting what it needs planted by the river. So the life of the righteous man is marked by strength and stability. Like a tree that's strong and stable, sinking down deep roots by the river. St. Augustine will comment on the word water by saying it could mean uh, the river of God is full of water. Uh, Psalm 65, 9. Or the Holy Spirit. So the water here, river of water, can be the word of God or can be the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Lord also said in John chapter 7, verse 37, If anyone thirst, let him come to me. If you knew the gift of God, and who, he, that's what he said to the Samaritan woman, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So, the river of water is the word of God or the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is another opinion that the river of water could mean the sins of the people. Because in the book of Apocalypse, Revelation, the water, the people are called water. So, uh, he lives... Uh, around people who are sinful, but he is like Noah, lived among wicked and perverse generation, but he was light to them. But of course, this uh, doesn't go well with the context of the verses. But as a result of meditating on the law of the Lord, we bring forth fruit. That's the first thing. We bring forth fruit. And as our Lord said in John chapter 15, verse 16, and your fruit will be lasting. Your fruit will be lasting. We cannot be fruitful or prosperous without the waters of the Holy Spirit and the word of God who grant us power to endure the hardship of life. So in order to be fruitful, in order to be prosperous, you need to be planted by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit. What are the fruits that we will bear? It's the fruit of the Spirit. You read them in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. The fruit comes naturally from this tree because it's planted by the river of the water. It's abiding in a life source. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. As the Lord spoke of bearing fruit uh, in John chapter 15, verse 5, if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. But he said about the fruit in its season, that brings forth its fruit in its season. Uh, Fruit has a season. Why I'm saying this important? Because some get discouraged when they begin to walk in the way of righteousness and they did not bear fruit immediately. Because fruit comes in their season. We need to wait until we bring fruit in the right season. So the first blessing bring fruit in its season. Number two, the leaf shall not wither, whose leaf also shall not wither. Wither means the, the, the leaf is not green anymore, came brown, dead, withered leaves. These are a sign of death and dryness. The righteous man does not have these signs of death and dryness. His leaves 
his leaves are green and alive. He is engrafted in Christ the true vine and abide in him, from whom, from Christ, he has his strength, nourishment, and fruit. The righteous man is rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith of Christ, so he holds fast to his faith without wavering. Some example of uh, drying is the lukewarmness. When, when the person uh, became lukewarm, he doesn't want to pray, he doesn't want to go to church, has difficulty to forgive, has difficulty to give, uh, uh, fasting is a challenge to him. This means the leaves now. Leaves are the external works. So, uh, do you know the, the tree, fig tree? Usually we say the leaves are the external works. So, pers- a person cannot serve, cannot help others, cannot go to church, cannot fast. And the third thing, number one, he will bear fruit. Number two, leaves will not wither. Number three, whatever he does shall prosper. So in the life of righteous man, God brings forth some good and wonderful things out of everything. So out of everything, there is prosperity. Even tough circumstances at the end will bring forth something that shall prosper. Joseph went through tough circumstances, but at the end, everything prospered. But does this mean that everyone in the world who is righteous will be rich? The prosperity according to our earthly understanding? No. So prosperity here not in temporal things. Not every story of a righteous man ended like Joseph or like the three young men or like Daniel. No. Some people were killed, were martyred, like St. George, like St. Mina, uh, Flobatir Marcurios, the 21 martyrs of Libya. So, prosperity here is not about temporal things, but in spiritual things. Even if he faces hardship in his life, he will have peace, happiness. This will not take the peace and happiness from his heart. Like in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, uh, maybe according to the earthly standard, the Lazarus did not have prosperity at all. But on a spiritual level, he was prosperous. And when he went to heaven or to the paradise, he enjoyed uh, the glory. So whatever a righteous man does in faith, from love to the glory of God and in the name of Christ, will prosper. St. Augustine says, The tree is our Lord Jesus Christ. The river of the water is the Holy Spirit. Bring forth its fruit means Christ will establish the church. In its season means in the time of God, in his season. And the season is after he is glorified by his resurrection and ascension to heaven. The leaf shall not wither, means his word shall not be in vain. Everything he does will prosper, that is the prosperity of the churches. Verse 4 The ungodly now he gives us a picture of the godly. The ungodly are not so. They are not like the godly, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. So everything we mentioned in verse 3 is true about the righteous man. Stable as a tree, continual life, nourishment, fruitful, alive, prosperous. But the ungodly Nothing of these things 
will have in their life. They are like the chaff. The chaff is the light shell around a kernel of grain, this yellow light shell, which must be stripped away before the kernel of grain can be ground into flour. I'm sure you know this small yellow. And also the chaff is light, light enough that it could be separated uh, from the grain by throwing portion into the wind. Just if, if you throw it into the wind, the chaff will fall down and let the wind drive it out. So that is the picture of the ungodly, like the chaff, unstable, lacking in substance. And the scattering of the chaff by the wind is a common figure in the Old Testament. Sudden destruction of the wicked, like Sodom, Gomorrah, flood, and many verses in like Psalm 35, Job 21, Isaiah 29, Hosea 13. In, in, in Psalm 1, describe the character, they are like the chaff and their feet. Their feet. You know, if you think about the chaff, they are vain, superficial, unprofitable. The same way the ungodly are vain, superficial, unprofitable, hurtful, without any root of true and solid godness. St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he said they are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Any philosophy will, will, will shake them with every wind of their own lusts or temptation. That's why in verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment. And compare the word stand here with the stand in the way of the sinners. They shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Uh, so, those who had uh, deliberately chosen the assembly of scornful by their own will will have no place in that of the good. They will not stand in the judgment. They will not stand in the, with the righteous. They will not sit with the godly. The real character will be manifested in the judgment. Because the ungodly have no weight, like the chaff, they will be found lacking on the day of judgment. Uh, I like what's said about King Belshazzar in the book of Daniel. You have been weighted in balances and found wanting, lacking. They will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This is true in the future. Because sinners will not share the same glory, glorious future of the righteous in the paradise of joy and in the kingdom of God. Also, it's true in the present, not only in the life to come. Because sinners, since they do not belong in the congregation of the righteous, if they insist on remaining sinners. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 he told them, uh, exclude or drive away the wicked from among you. Wicked means those who do not repent and insist to live life uh, of sin without repentance. That's why you need to distinguish between the wicked who insist on living in sin and the sinner who is struggling against sin, trusting the Savior. All of us who are sinners, all of us who are struggling. But when the person insists to live in sin, that's wickedness. St. Augustine said, every wicked man is a sinner, but not every sinner is a wicked man. If you are struggling against sin, then there is no wickedness here. Last verse, verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. 
the Lord knows the way of righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The righteous people can have peace because a loving God in heaven knows their way and will protect and preserve them. We are blessed, the righteous people blessed because the Lord knows their way. But the ungodly, their way leads to destruction. The way of ungodly shall perish, so their way leads to destruction. They must bear all the blame of their own destruction. They should not blame God or circumstances. It is their choice to to walk in the way of ungodliness. They are on a broad path that may seem comfortable now. They choose the wide gate and the broad path, but in the end they shall perish at the presence of the Lord. The curse of God shall be on all that they have or they do or they are. In the day of judgment, they shall be condemned to everlasting fire. As I said at the beginning, Psalm 1 is included in the first hour of the Agbaya, and we begin with it every day while we are commemorating the resurrection of Christ. Thus, before we start our day, we ask our risen Lord to grant us blessed day and blessed life, to guide us to choose what's right and what's righteous. And also, we started the day with Psalm 1 to stir up ourselves to prepare for the judgment day and with a holy care to approve ourselves to God in everything, to be approved by God in everything, beseeching His mercy with our whole heart. This concludes chapter verse 1, Psalm 1 from the book of Psalms. Glory be to God forever and ever.